So this morning we're reading from Genesis 3, which is on page 2 of the Black Bibles on the Chairs. Um, And before we begin, I'll just pray. Father God, would you lead us and guide us as we read your word, and would we have open hearts to receive what it is you have to say to us. Amen. So chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but did God say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die? You will certainly you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour, you will will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Uh, Thanks so much, Joy. It'd be great to keep that part of the Bible open. Uh, We're mainly going to be spending our time there this morning. 
Um, uh, but how about I pray now for God's help as we um, yeah, think about this topic of brokenness. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for your word, uh, that it is a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. Help us now, Lord, to see who we truly are and to see our desperate need to be made right with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Well, the French philosopher Blaise Pascal, uh, he said that humanity is the glory and the garbage of the universe. Uh, This idea was brought home to me recently as I sat at the movies and watched the movie Oppenheimer. I don't know if anyone's seen it. Don't worry, there's not any spoilers here. Uh, But this film recounts uh, the making of the atomic bomb by the Manhattan Project in 1943. As I sat and watched this film, I was blown away uh, by the genius and the minds of men and women like Robert Oppenheimer. Uh, Throughout the movie, many times, I was left like just feeling like an ignorant child, not really able to comprehend the the physicist's theories and ideas that were being thrown around. Uh, I was left in awe at the human mind and its ability to create and invent. I was left thinking, surely... Whatever humanity sets its mind to, it can achieve. But as the movie went on and as the atomic bomb was completed, I was left in despair, knowing the damage, knowing the hundreds and thousands of Japanese lives that were lost in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Hundreds and thousands of innocent lives swept away in an instant due to this scientific genius. I was also left in despair seeing Oppenheimer's own life come like tumbling down in so many ways due to relationship turmoil. Humanity is the glory and the garbage of the universe. With the same minds which we use to do glorious and amazing things, we can use them to cause pain, despair and destruction. This can be seen on a global level, but I think it can also be seen in the quietness of our own lives. I wonder, do you feel this tension? Do you have those days and moments where you feel a sense of accomplishment and joy, when your relationships are humming and everything is beautiful and you feel like you're truly living out who you're meant to be? But do you also have those days when you feel hopeless, where you feel like giving up, where you you hurt those you love and you're filled with a, a sense of guilt and shame? If you're anything like me, that wrestle and that struggle is all too real and familiar. The question that we're thinking through this morning, the question that we must ask is, how can we be so glorious and yet so horrific almost at the same time? Last week, we we dug into the idea and we saw that humanity, the glory of humanity as God created us in his image. He created us in his image to know him and to, to rule his world under him. We were made for loving relationships with God and with others. In God's good creation was harmony and joy and wholeness. There was such good and such potential. But now in our world, there's such garbage and brokenness. Why? Why are the news headlines the way they are? Why are there wars going on around the world? Why are children being murdered by their parents? 
Why is humanity broken? Well, the Bible's answer is crystal clear. As a race, we've all rejected God. All the brokenness in the world can be traced back to our rejection of our loving maker. Now, diving into the topic of brokenness, thinking about this, it's not a pleasant topic. But the Bible's words to us provide such clarity, a powerful and coherent explanation as to why the world is the way it is. They provide clarity for us to to see why we experience the brokenness we do. But more than clarity, the Bible's words are good. They are good for us. They point us to our deepest and most intimate need. The need to be made whole again. To be brought back to who we were made to be. So today we're going to unpack humanity's brokenness. We're just going to scratch the surface and we're going to see three things. We're going to see our rejection of God as our loving and good creator. We're going to see the consequences of our rejection. And thirdly, we're going to see the only hope for humanity. So firstly, our rejection of God as our loving and good creator. Have a look there again with me at verse 1 in chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now in this opening verse of chapter 3, we, we're introduced to a, a new character in the Bible. Up to this point, it's just been God and Adam and Eve. But here we're introduced to the serpent. And you see how he's described? He's the, the most sneaky and devious creature. Now this, this serpent is Satan, the king of all lies. And the first words that come out of his mouth are ones of deception. Do you see what he said? He says, did God really say? These words are seeking to sow like a, a doubt and distrust in what God had said. But not just wanting to sow doubt, he also attacks the goodness of God's word. He says, did God say you must not eat from any tree? The answer to to Satan's question here is, God had given Adam and Eve an abundance of trees to eat from. The freedom to eat from any tree except one. But Satan, in his devious and craftiness, hones in on that one. He wants to portray God as harsh, restrictive. He wants to paint God as someone who doesn't have humanity's best interests at heart. And isn't this the view of our world? That God is restrictive? That he's holding something back from us? That he doesn't care about what we need and want, what we desire? The devil here, he's putting this choice before Eve. It's a choice before each of us. A choice either to trust in God's word and who he is or to trust the lies of the serpent. And this is a choice we face each and every day. Will we trust the God who made us, the one who knit us together in our mother's womb, the one who deeply cares for what's best for us, or will we reject him and believe the lies of the devil? Eve responds to the serpent. You see it there in verse 2. She says, God said, we may eat from the trees in the garden. You must, he said, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. We must not even touch it. Eve, he repeats back 
to the serpent what God said. But did you see, she actually adds something of her own. She says, God said we can't even touch it, but God did not say that. Satan's devious ways, his, his sneakiness has begun to sow some doubt and confusion in Eve's mind to actually what God had said. She'd begun down this path into thinking, maybe God doesn't have my best interest at heart. Maybe actually God is holding something back from me. This is exactly what the devil wants Eve to believe. This is what the devil wants all of us to believe about God. Rather than retreating from this conversation, rather than ruling over the creation, there's this reordering of creation beginning to happen here. Eve, rather than ruling over the serpent, is tempted and lured in by his lies. Eve, rather than fleeing from temptation, is drawn into thinking about what life with God might look like. It reminds me of my daughters. Sometimes I catch them at the pantry. The doors open. They're looking at all the shelves and all the treats and things they want to enjoy. Eve here, she is tempted, but she's also tempting herself. And isn't this so often the case for us? We'd rather flirt with temptation than flee from it. Rather just linger for a while and think about the possibilities. Well, Satan, seizing this opportunity, comes in for the kill. He says to Eve in verse 4, he says, You will not surely die, but you'll become like God, knowing good and evil. These words of Satan completely contradict what God had said. To eat from the tree would mean death for humanity, God said in 2.17. The question is, all these lies and spin from Satan, how can he get away with it? Well, having sown these, these seeds of, of distrust and doubt in God, he, he tempts Eve now with the discontent in her own position. He tempts her with the thought of being like God. Satan tempts her with the opportunity to be self-determining. To know good and evil is to decide what is good and evil for ourselves. It's to determine what we think is right and wrong. Satan is tempting Eve to set the rules for herself. Tempting humanity to, to think that we know best. Tempting humanity to think that we can take the place of God. And this is a seductive temptation, isn't it? It's a temptation that hasn't changed from that day till now. Have a, have a think about this question for yourselves for a moment. Who knows best how to rule your life? Or another way of thinking about it, who knows what's best for you? If you're anything like me, I instinctively want to say, I do. I know what's best for me. No one else could know what's best for me. Not even the God who made me. But it's a con. It's a lie. It's just not true. It never was true. God made us. He loves us. He cares for us. He knows what's best for us. But with this offer of being like God, Eve finally succumbs to this temptation. She takes of the fruit, gives some to Adam, who has been this silent accomplice the whole time. They both eat of it. 
And in this single act, they reject God as their loving and good creator. And humanity ever since has been following in their footsteps. We've all forsaken our exalted but limited position as creatures made in the image of God. We've all believed the lie that God is less than he is and that we are greater than what we really are. And the consequences for humanity are huge. Like the the deadly effects of one malignant cell can have on the body, our sin and rejection of God has huge effects for humanity. We reap the, the effects of this every single day. God hands us over in judgment to our brokenness. He says, you want to live life without me? Fine. The consequences of life without God, you'll experience them. And that's the second point we're going to think about now. What are these consequences? The consequences of rejection of God. Well, the first thing we see is that our bodies are broken. We now experience shame and pain and death. The shame we experience is both spiritual and physical. I wonder, did you notice the first thing that happened when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit? Do you see it there in verse 7? Is that they became physically self-conscious. Their eyes were open and they, they were naked. And they knew they were naked. They'd previously been naked and felt no shame. But now, their immediate instinct was to cover up. The instinct was no longer one of safety and intimacy with God and with others. It went from that to fear and to shame. And we see this, this fear play out when Adam and Eve try to hide from God. God calls out to them in verse 9. He says, where are you? And now th- this, this isn't a question of geography, like God had lost them in the garden. It's not like a parent in a shopping center, you know, and they've lost their kid in one of the aisles and they're calling out for them. It's not that kind of question. Though this is a question. It's a spiritual question. Why have you left me? God says. Why are you hiding from me? The one who made you. The one who loves you. Humanity's natural stance and bent uh, before God from that day till now has been one of fleeing and fear from him. And the question that God asked Adam and Eve is the same question that he asked each of us today. Where are you? Why are you hiding from me? Why are you running away from me? And the answer is, we don't want to be found by God. We don't want to seek him out. We want to run as far away as possible from him. We come before God spiritually bankrupt and worthy of his judgment. And the foolish thing is that we we think we can hide from the creator of the world. This shame we experience today, it's not just spiritual though, it's, it's deeply physical. I came across an article this week which, which stated that the majority of people, when they look at themselves in the mirror, come away feeling bad. They come away not happy with what they're seeing in the mirror, what they look like. I wonder, is that you? Do you look in the mirror and wish you looked different? Do you look in the mirror and feel this sense of inadequacy? This sense of of shame of how you look? This bodily shame that we feel and experience might be due to many factors, but ultimately it comes down 
to us rejecting God as our creator. It comes down to us rejecting the truth that he made us and crafted us exactly the way we are. We were made by him and he doesn't make mistakes. We experience shame in our bodies, but we also experience pain. For many of you, this is an all too common experience. You live with chronic pain. Adam and Eve here are told they'll have pain in childbearing and in their work. But every sphere of life is now marked by pain and sorrow. Our bodies, they wear out. They don't function like they're meant to. And it's all because we've turned away from God. And eventually, this pain we experience in our bodies will fail us as one day we'll die. One author um, and pastor, Sam Aubrey, he says this. He says, our death day is just as fixed as our birthday. We just don't know when it is. Our society doesn't like to think about death. They like to, you know, we like to push it to the margins, don't we? The, the dying are kept behind closed doors in sanitized and professionalized institutions. But even though we try to distance ourselves from death, it doesn't diminish its certainty. When death comes knocking, it is an unwelcome intruder into our lives. When death comes, we know all is not okay with the world we read in in verse 19 it says from dust we were formed and to dust we will return Uh, each day uh, we shed around 25,000 flakes of skin every minute over a million pieces of skin every hour um, if you're anything like me, if you were to, you know, you go into your home and you see the dust on your bookshelves, if you were to run your finger along a dusty shelf in your home, you're in a large part clearing a path through fragments of your former self. It's a bit of a gross thought maybe for some of you. Silently, every day we turn to dust. Death is the climax of a life of rejecting our creator. God is the creator and sustainer of life, and to turn away from him means death. Ever since the garden, humanity has been like a Christmas tree. We've been cut off from our source of life. We're spiritually dead and physically dying. The first consequence of us turning away from God is that our bodies are broken. The second consequence that we see is that our relationships are now broken. We were made for relationships with God and with others. Loving, secure, safe, intimate relationships. But when we elevate ourselves above God, elevating ourselves above others is inevitable. When we each think that we are God, there will be conflict in relationships. And we see this as soon as Adam and Eve sin. The the blame game begins to take place. Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the snake. And the snake, he doesn't have a leg to stand on. (laughs) We see the brokenness of relationships in in God's words um, to Adam and Eve in the second half of verse 16. The ESV translation captures this well. It says, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, 
but he shall rule over you. This, this verse captures a battle of the sexes that has been taking place ever since the garden. The husband will rule and dominate over his wife. The wife will antagonize and criticize and oppose her husband's every move. This leads to a conflict and chaos and damage in all of our relationships. And we don't have to look too far to see evidence of this in our society. We see relationship breakdown everywhere. Divorce rates are on the rise. Domestic abuse is skyrocketing. People are lonely and craving deep, intimate relationships. We live in a world where we hurt others and we're hurt by others. With our words, with our actions, we so often don't look out for the good of others. We just look out for what's best for me. As I've been thinking about this sermon, I was reflecting you know, on the people who I love and care for the most, the people who are closest to in my life. And I was thinking, I don't think there is a week that goes by where I haven't said something or done something that I regret, that I wish I could take back. I wonder what regrets or hurts do you carry with you with your relationships? The reality is we all live life hurting others and being hurt by others because we're living a life apart from God because we think we are God. The consequences for us rejecting God wreak havoc with our bodies, with our relationships, but also at the core of who we are with our identity. Last week, Andy <clears throat> And he said, our world today has an identity crisis. And it's true. Each of us has forsaken who we were made to be. We were t- we've turned our back on our creator. We've all forsaken the, the dignity, the worth, and the value that he gave us as image bearers made by him. We were made precious by God to live with him for him. Our worth, our security, our acceptance was gifted to us. But we've turned our back on God. We've said, actually, God, I can pave my own way. I can create my own identity. Uh, Another French philosopher, Jean-Paul Sartre, he says this. He says that man is nothing else than what he makes himself. In an age of expressive individualism, Most of us live life with that mentality. That we are the ones who get to decide our identity. Most of us try to make something out of ourselves by by what we do and what we can achieve. For some of us, that's through our work and the status that that gives us. For others of us, it's through our relationships. I'm a mum, that's my identity. I'm a father, that's my identity. For some of us, it's, it's through a hobby. And the accolades and the achievement we get from doing that. But one of the troubles in having our identity formed by what we do is that we actually quickly become captive to what others think of us. Do others celebrate and approve of my identity? Do others accept me based on who I say I am? This can lead to a whole sense of anxiety and worthlessness when we feel that we don't measure up. But this, this way of thinking is how many in our world live. 
Maybe it's how many of you live. You attach your identity to something that you have to do. We clutch at things to try and give us worth and meaning or value, but we always come up empty, not knowing actually, have I done enough? Ultimately, this brokenness we feel in pursuit of our identity is because we've all rejected the God who made us. We've rejected the glorious identity that he has freely gifted us. So why is humanity broken? Well, it's not the government's fault. It's not the fault of our upbringing. It's not the fault of those evil people over there. Humanity is broken because we've all rejected our loving and good creator. We've sought to be God in his place. We've made a mess of our lives and of his world. In the words of G.K. Chesterton, what's wrong with the world? I am. And the worst thing is that we can't change our brokenness. Jesus says that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So as a race, we are helpless and hopeless, facing the righteous judgment of God. There is one glorious hope for humanity, and it's in the person of Jesus. We see this picked up in verse 15 and what we just read. Uh, This is God speaking to the serpent, handing down his judgment on the serpent. He says this, he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God here is promising to Eve that one of her offspring will one day come and crush the serpent. And that descendant is Jesus. Jesus is the one who came to crush sin and death once and for all. He came to fix our brokenness. And he came to fix it by taking on our brokenness and dying in our place. In the words of Isaiah 53, it says this, Surely he took up our pain, bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus gives us what we could never do for ourselves. He offers us life with God. He offers us the life where we were created for. The question is, have you given up hope in yourself? Have you come to Jesus humbly knowing your brokenness? And asking for his grace and forgiveness. Have you come humbly to him asking for him to take your shame and your sinfulness away? Whatever you've done, whatever you've thought, whatever you've said, Jesus says, I died to fix your brokenness. I died to make you whole. Jesus died to fix our brokenness with God. He died to fix our brokenness with each other. And he died so that we can now live out our true identity as children of God. Life with Jesus is a life of humble dependence on him. It's a daily turning to him and confessing our need for him. It's a daily turning to him, asking him to change us and renew us and make us more like himself. I've known and and trusted Jesus for coming up to 24 years 
um, now. I know many of you in the room, a lot longer. But uh, sometimes I think I can trick and deceive myself into thinking that actually I'm better than I am. I can trick myself into thinking, actually, I'm not that broken. Actually, I don't need Jesus. But it's just not true. I need Jesus now as much as I did the day when I first accepted his offer of forgiveness. I need to daily humbly come to him, admitting my brokenness, admitting my need for him to change me and make me more like himself. I need to remember that without him, I'd be broken and be running away from God. So now let's pray. Let's pray to Jesus and confess our brokenness before him and ask him to renew us and change us. We're going to do a prayer together. We're going to confess our need to Jesus together. So there's some words will come up on the screen. Uh, And so I'd invite you to pray this with me. Uh, Maybe for some of you this might be the first time where you come to Jesus, admitting your brokenness, admitting your need for him. Uh, So let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love, but we have gone our own way and rejected your will for our lives. We are sorry for our sins and turn away from them. For the sake of your son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us and change us. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you and to please you in every way. For the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I invite the musos up. Uh, But if you uh, have prayed those words, uh, the Bible gives us great assurance and hope when we come to God confessing our brokenness that he forgives us, cleanses us, makes us right with him. So if that was the first time maybe you did admit your brokenness to God, I'd say, come and tell me, tell the person you came with, write on your comic card. We would love uh, to celebrate and chat with you more about uh, that life that Jesus offers you. So let's stand and let's continue responding to God's word in, in song.